Hey everyone, Brian Wheels here with the good, the bad, and the ugly of the aviation maintenance industry and a raw, unscripted look at it. Again, I'm your host, Brian Wheels. Thank you for joining us for episode two. So what in the shit are we going to talk about in episode two? Well, uh, I've already had uh, three very good uh, um, listener uh, emails in here, and uh, one of the uh, the questions in particular was about uh, my AMP uh, school experience and what others, in my opinion, should expect going through uh, AMP. It's a breakdown of getting a start in aviation maintenance and what to expect, and in my humble opinion, an AMP's first job 101. The good the bad and the ugly. Okay, so let's talk about my experience at AMP School breakdown of uh, Gainstar and Aviation uh, maintenance career. So uh, I did a little bit of research here, and I can't get sued by my AMP School for letting you know where I went. Uh, for those of you that are from Colorado, got your AMPs in Colorado, you likely know. So um, I went to AMP school. It was formerly Colorado Aerotech, up in the northern uh, northwest portion of Colorado. When I went to AMP school, it had uh, been Westwood College of Aviation, and on the tail end of that, it became Redstone College of Aviation. And it's named something else now. Uh, name mistakes me, but <clears throat> that's the gist of it. When I went through A and P school, though, it was almost three years of study to become an A and P. And well, looking back on it, I think I got out of A and P school at a good time. The uh, one thing that I didn't know they were doing, or I, I, this is what I, I, I let me refrain. What I heard the AAP school had started doing uh, when I attended it was they had some agreements with other another state to send some troubled youth to the AAP school as some sort of uh, agreement. I, I'm not too sure of the particulars on that. And one thing I found out right off the bat was that some of the fellow students, uh, they really had no desire to learn about working on aircraft. And they were troublemakers, and uh, they, they either quickly got themselves expelled from the school or um, got the shit beat out of them by other students who were there to actually learn and not put up with their bullshit. But I digress. Um, when I went through AP school again, it was almost three years of college. Nowadays, it's not. Um, I read somewhere where it's it's less than two years now to get, or less than that to get through AP school. And uh, the curriculum, in my opinion, uh, nowadays, is get them through the door, get them out as fast as possible, make the money, move on. There's a problem I have with that. Problem being, if you're not putting, if you're an A&P school and you're not putting the time in to really educate the students and to the basics 
of the, the, the curriculum, the required curriculum to, to help them get through those first, you know, trying years of being an A&P, then you're, you're not really doing them any good. What I wish A&P school had prepared me for was the reality of aviation. The reality of which is you have to have integrity. If you're willing to compromise your integrity as an A&P mechanic, then you failed yourself and you failed the flying public. And what I mean is, for me personally, there is, and you'll hear me say this again and again, there is no gray area when it comes to performing maintenance on a plane. It's black or it's white. The tech pubs tell you to perform the maintenance, whatever that task might be, in a certain way. That's the way it's to be done because that's the, what the manufacturer has said and that's what the FAA has blessed off on. So, you know, pencil whipping or short-siding the, the maintenance you're performing because you've done it a hundred times or because your, your asshole boss, lead, supervisor, whomever, is putting you under the pressure to do the work quicker, is you're compromising your integrity. And you've worked way, you should have, hopefully, worked hard to get that A&P license. Why put yourself in a position which you can lose it or worse? Now, the reality of that wasn't uh, wasn't taught to us in A&P school. I, I learned that through the first couple years in the field, uh, in the industry. The I would say the first five years of being an A&P prepared me for the next several years <laughs> in that I learned real quickly if you're willing to compromise your integrity as a mechanic you'll certainly get ahead <laughs> likely if you don't get caught in becoming a high-level manager or whatnot if you do not compromise your integrity you're gonna receive some shit for it and I've received my fair amount of crap for you know, not performing illegal maintenance on an aircraft. And you'll hear me use that term as well in the future, illegal maintenance. If the technical publication you're abiding by says to do it this way, you do it that way. If it doesn't say so, then, then don't, don't do it any other way. That's what I mean by black. You know, it's, it's black or white for me. It's not a gray area. You do it the way that you told it, it that the, the manufacturer, the technical specs, uh, the technical publication, sorry, have told you to do it. I've met a fair share of mechanics who don't do it that way, and you know what? That's on them. That's fine. I've I've been dogged for being Mr. You know, Mr. Wright, Mr. Barney Fife on it. Absolutely, I have, and you know, it is what it is. So. Getting into aviation maintenance, going to A&P school, expect the bare minimum. They're going to put, nowadays, the bare minimum of effort into you as a student so they can get you out the door as fast as possible. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, in A&P schools of 20 years past, it wasn't like that, but I don't believe it was as bad as it is nowadays. And they certainly don't preach to to be a person of integrity as an A&P mechanic. 
that is not that is not told to the students. And I'm, I I do recall several instructors that I had that gave me the the impression they wanted to say that, but if they were, they would get in trouble by the director of the school. And during my time at that that college, the um, the head honcho of this school was a was an idiot, in my opinion. So we'll leave it at that. So you're going to get into aviation, and you'll decide whether you want to work on GA, you want to work commercial, you want to work both. You know, I, I guess you don't have to decide right then and there. I, I did, uh, as I said in my last episode. Um, there are courses in AP school that I really think are really behind the time, such as dope and fabric. Really, why are we why are we teaching dope and fabric for? I mean, if you're going to go into you know working on relic aircraft and such and learn dope and fabric, fabric, I, I guess that's fine. Um, things that I wish that they had really uh, spent more time on was would be you know avionics, sheet metal. Um, you know, although those two are are in my opinion specialties, you know. Even when I went through the the basics of which I my sheet metal course or our sheet metal project, um, we I think we did a like a twelve by twelve panel with you know 20, 25 rivets of different types, and that was about it. And the sheet metal instructor was, himself was a big fat fuck in my opinion as well. Again, this is all my opinion. The guy did. He, the guy was. He had probably been a washout in his career, any career that he might have had, and he found his way into a college, into an easy, easy uh, position with no accountability. But again, I digress. Uh, avionics is really important, and uh, I I took extra avionics um, curriculum as well because I knew coming up that the these next-gen aircraft are avionics-heavy, and it's important to to understand the basics of avionics. Another issue that I wish had been gone over more um, was uh, deciphering and comprehending um, things such as uh, your SSMs, your IPCs, your wiring diagrams, um, You'd be surprised how many mechanics I've met, guys who have been in the industry for years and years and years, who cannot read an IPC, cannot read an SSM, cannot read a wiring diagram to save their freaking lives. And you'll find in many line maintenance shops, there's a there's the avionics guy, right? And then there's the you know the guys that do the easy work, you know. It's like okay, you know, trip circuit breaker. Reason how many times it did a trip all oh, once okay we can reset it you know it those type of guys in the shop that you know they're they're not going to do any type of heavy troubleshooting they're not going to look at any schematics to save their life because they don't understand it i knew a guy at tenco slash hayco uh, i'm not going to say his name but he he this guy was one of the biggest knuckleheads i'd ever met you know he'd preach and all this crap about how many planes he's worked on and how much stuff he knows. But when it came down to, you know, even a, like a hydraulic issue where, you know, the pump's not running. Why isn't the pump running? 
You know, oh shit, we can't have me yell at because the other pump is bad. <laughs> okay, now we have to figure out why it's not running for, why it's not turning on when it's supposed to. Open up the ESSM. This guy could not read it to save his life. And, and unfortunately, this same moron is at, at the company that took over Timco slash Hayco work. Um, but again, I digress. Anywho, it's, it's vitally important that you understand how to read your schematics and what all the symbols mean, what all the data means, all the information shows, and, and comprehend that information because that's going to save you a lot of hassle and also save you from looking like an idiot when you're going back to the shops. Well, okay, I don't know how to read this, guys. Well, how many years experience you got? You said you had uh, six years of experience. Well, yeah, but I've never had to do this before. So I wish the A&P school had, you know, or would prepare people better for that. Um, it, I mean, I've spoken to, to people who have come out of A&P school in the last three or four years, and they've even told me that the, the curriculum now is just like bare minimum. You know, they're, they're learning things in A&P school that really don't apply to modern day. Uh, and then some of them just say it was a breeze. And furthermore, the A&P school I went to after I had graduated kind of went downhill, and I heard stories of people getting their A&Ps for, you know, <laughs> certain acts they could get an A&P for. Now, that has happened countrywide. You do your research, you'll see that there's A&P schools that are, you know, giving out their A&P. You find it in the Cracker Jack box after you blew your teacher, you got your A&P. That has happened. Uh, but my particular A&P school, I, I, I heard stories of things that have occurred after I had already graduated it. But I can't verify them, you know, I, and I'm, nor am I. That's the stories that I heard. But, uh, you know, keep your wits about you. If, if you're going to be serious about being an aircraft mechanic, be serious about the job. And don't get lackadaisical and, and, and freaking lazy. You know, you're, 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 although, and I've heard this argument, well, I'm not signing the work off under my A&P, it's really the company. Well, no, you're signing the work off that it's been done in accordance to blah, 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 blah. If you don't do it in accordance with blah, 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 you think that the company is going to stick up for you if something were to happen? No, they're not. In the end, you're on the hook. You are the licensed A&P mechanic performing the work. Keep that in mind. Don't, don't let some of these other guys pressure you into doing it faster, quicker, and, and jeopardizing the quality of work. Now, I will say this. In the line environment, okay, and I'm getting a little off track. In the line environment, absolutely, it used to be, let me, let me put it this way. It used to be a new mechanic went to a hangar for a while before going to the line. And I believe that should be the way it is. You know, if you're a new mechanic, you, you don't necessarily belong in the line. You should go to the hangar, okay, do seat checks, do heavy checks on the aircraft, tear it down, put it back together, learn the aircraft, learn how to perform, you know, the, the often mundane tasks, operational uh, checks of a plane. You know, 
removing panels, putting panels back on, applying sealants. I know it's bullshit, and I know some people get stuck doing it all in all. But, you know, I think that new mechanics should go to the hangar before going to the line. Because the line is, that that is money, okay? You get called out to a gate, on, you know, something simple as, you know, a hot brake check. And I've seen guys take 20, 25 minutes checking hot brakes, and they were new mechanics. And you're like, well, guys, it, why is it taking you 20, 25 minutes? Oh, well, you know, I, I didn't know what tooling I needed. I, you know, I had to find, you know, the AMM reference and da, da, da. It's like, well, okay, I get it. You're new. But you should have started out on the freaking hangar. There is a sense of urgency in the line environment. I've been on planes when passengers are eyeing you, thinking, when is this idiot going to be done working on the plane? I've got to be in freaking Miami in, you know, another hour, 40 minutes, or whatever it might be. So time is of the essence, but you can still perform that work in a timely manner while keeping your head on you, on your shoulders, and ensuring that the work you're doing is quality work, that it is safe work, that you're not jeopardizing the aircraft, the people on the aircraft, and the people on the ground. And why do I say that? You know, you get in a car crash, the ever, you know, the, the car, for the most part, stays on the ground, right? Or at least, hopefully. Something goes wrong on a plane. You got one direction to go if you're in the air, right? Now, who's to say you're not over a populated area? So you did a crappy job on whatever you fixed on that plane. It failed in the air. The plane crashes, kills the people on the plane. Who's to say it's not going to kill people on the ground? It's a valid point. It's a valid point integrity okay anywho i won't preach on that anymore okay next segment an amp's first job 101 what to expect the good bad and the ugly coming up all right welcome back this is part two of episode two an AMP's first job 101, in my humble opinion. Well, I kind of touched on some of the same important items in the first part of this episode. Um, now, I, I also was talking about, um, you know, my belief that AMP's, a new AMP should start their experience in a hangar environment and then work their way to a line environment. Um, nowadays, that is not the case. Okay. Now, if you're working in an MRO, then you're in the hangar. If you're working for an airline, you might be in a hangar. You might be in the line. You might be on both. Uh, there are uh, MROs that offer contract maintenance to a nearby airport, and so you know you could get one or one or both of the other. <laughs> um, I guess. Going back to my first, well, really, my, my first job was L3 Communications in Greenville, Texas, and that was all hangar work. And, um, you know, it, as, a, as a new mechanic, straight out of A&P school, it was, uh, was nerve-wracking. You know, I, I had a, an idea of where I wanted to, to go with my career. But 
I definitely didn't want to piss anyone off. I didn't want to look stupid. I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to get along with everybody and fit in. This particular um, job, the first job, was a union job. And uh, the, I remember my first day sitting in uh, orientation, HR gal came in for about a half hour left, and then the union rep came in. And this was my first experience, you know, with joining, you know, anything with a union. And I'm not going to get into a pro versus con union thing. I'm just telling you my experience. And the union guy was an old fart who was very abrasive. And he pretty much said, uh, if you don't join the union, you're going to have a hard time here. I mean, he put it, he put it pretty much that way. You know, you don't join the union, that's fine, but you're going to have a hard time working here. So as a new mechanic, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, how much, how many union, how much union dues do you want? Uh, so that was interesting. And I could, within the first month, you could tell that, you could tell who the, the older mechanics were that wanted to help young guys and who the mechanics were that, you know, wanted nothing to do with them, and the guys who would lend a, ha a helping hand, sorry. And that made it a little nerve-wracking because then you heard stories about the guys who didn't like new mechanics around, and they would, you know, to stay clear of them, this and that. Um, and, you know, you'd, I'd go out for a smoke break and you'd hear these old guys, you know, talking shit about new people and, and all this. Um or talking shit about the, you know, the manager, the management, whatnot. And it's all fine and dandy. That's that's what what you expect. What's going to happen? Now, the 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 tools that I had, they they give you a tool list. You know, when, once you got hired, they, they emailed me a tool list. This is minimum equipment. You know, not minimum equipment. Minimum tool list that you must have. And I didn't get those tools until I got to Texas. And uh, I found that I was underprepared and having to borrow tools from other people, which that tends to, if you're not friends with someone like, you know, friendly, that tends to piss people off. And I, you learn real quickly that uh, your tools, your uh, tool chest, you know, whatever, uh, your toolbox, that's what you make your living out of. You protect that shit. Now, I'm going to sideline here to a different story. Uh, fast forward a few years, I, I was working again for this MRO in, um, in Tucson, Arizona. It's still there. still shitty. But um, I, I had a toolbox. It was a, it was a large stack on a Craftsman box. And um, I didn't get off on the right foot with this uh, unlicensed technician. Turns out this kid got his green card, and through having a green card, this particular MRO had an agreement to hire these unlicensed technicians. Again, I'm not getting into the debate green card or, or saying anything bad about it. I'm just stating the fact, okay? This guy in particular, is, he's actually younger than me, this kid, he had a chip on his shoulder as, because he was an unlicensed technician and he didn't like licensed technicians or A&Ps. And 
I was warned about this guy beforehand. Like, hey, watch out for so-and-so there. He's an unlicensed tech. He only likes a few AMPs. He does not like the majority of them. I'm like, what the fuck is this guy's problem? And I never did figure out what his chip on his shoulder was. But he was an unlicensed tech. Okay, He had, he had a partner that he was assigned to so this partner could sign his work you know, sign the work that he did, inspect and sign it. Although I, I'm sure his partner didn't ever inspect the unlicensed technician's work and sign behind him. Anywho, uh, there was one time we were out uh, um, on a 3.7 with a boost pump issue. And it's funny, this particular job, I know I'm going off track here, but this particular job it had a lot of boost pump issues with these planes when I was at this place, different planes. Anywho, we're on the left wing. Um, doing some troubleshooting, and uh, this unlicensed tech with tech with his A and P buddy was was down on the outboard edge of the wing, and uh, I was with another fella towards the inboard uh, inboard wing route, and um, he made a comment, just offhanded comment about the new guy, which he was referencing me, and uh, I didn't catch what he said at first, so I asked him. I said, you know, hey, what what did you say? And immediately he comes off that ladder and comes running towards me. He says, don't you ever ask me what I said. Don't you ever talk down. I'm like, what the, what are you talking about, dude? So I've been here for three years. And although I'm unlicensed, I know more about this plane than you do. Okay. All righty. Yeah, whatever, bud. And I blew him off. And since I blew him off, it, it really pissed him off. And later in the day, I was at my toolbox, and this same guy comes up. I'm an unlicensed tech, but he, he's always he's always always starts he starts his conversations. I'm an unlicensed tech. I'm an unlicensed tech, but I'll tell you that I know more than you. And you ever talk down to me, I'm gonna beat your ass. I said, look, motherfucker. I said, you ain't gonna beat no one's ass here. I said, keep your cool. Get the fuck away from me. You know what this guy does? He walks around me. There's a forklift parked about 15 feet behind me. And he gets in this forklift. I swear to God, he starts this forklift up. Puts it in reverse. Beep, 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 beep. And this son of a bitch slowly backs his forklift. And I'm looking at him backing up this forklift. What the and he gets about he gets about six feet away from my box. And I said, what are you doing? He said, watch me. And he topples my toolbox over. He runs into my freaking toolbox. And he hops out of the forklift, leaves it running, just casually walks away. I won't lie to you, folks. I grabbed that motherfucker by the neck, pushed him to the ground, and started beating the ever-loving shit out of him. Okay. Now, I am not condoning, absolutely not condoning violence in the workplace. I am not. That was the wrong thing for me to have done. Absolutely. 100% the wrong thing for me to do. And did we get both walked out? We did get walked out. We were suspended for a week, both of us. And I told him, I, I told the, the HR dude, who is also a douchebag, it turns out, still working for the company. But uh, I told him what happened. I said, the guy, you see my tool? And he put a decent-sized dent in my toolbox after it toppled over. And all my tools came out and stuff. And I said, you understand, I make my living off these tools. 
and some unlicensed technician is going to start this shit? Are you kidding me? Well, you know, a, a fight in the workplace is a fight in the workplace. Yes, I was wrong. I should have got what was coming to me, and I did. I got I got suspended from work for a week without pay. I did wrong. That's what happened. Now, let's go back to you know my first job at L3, and what I'm, I'm trying to imply here is that your your tools you make your livelihood off of, okay, and. You might not have all your tools right away. You might have, sure, the, the minimum required tools uh, per the list that you were given or whatnot. And you're probably going to have to borrow tools from other people until you can, you know, build up the tools you need. You, you'll find that out through experience, what you need and what you don't need. What I would suggest approaching it is say, hey, you know, so-and-so, I, you know I'm new here. I, I just have the minimum required tooling. I, I really need this type of tool. Would you mind if I, if you had one, if I could borrow it? You know, never just take a tool from another mechanic. And that goes, that goes for any of the trades. Never just take a tool from any, well, anybody, not just the trades, but anybody. Ask, okay? Um, new mechanics tend to be worked longer hours require you know mandatory overtime or whatnot than people that have been around a while that's not always the case but generally that's what occurs you know expect to to work longer hours this and that um expect to get the shit jobs and, and, and as a pun get the shit jobs if you have a plane in the hangar or hell if you got out to the line and you get a gate call for a clogged shitter you're the one that's going to be fixing that. You're not going to expect mechanics who have some time on you to be doing that. So just, you know, suck it up and do it, <laughs> you know, because you might one day you might be, for whatever reason, the only mechanic and you're going to have to do it. What are you going to, what are you going to tell the pilot? What are you going to tell the crew? Oh, yeah, I, I don't really want to mess with the shitter. So, yeah, well, you can tell that to the passengers, too. Yeah, good luck. So, um. And keep your mouth shut. You're, you're, you will find that during the, you know, here's a great example. During the morning meeting, you're going to have that supervisor or, or manager or project manager. You know, he's going to have everyone in a semicircle. And he's going to say, hey, guys, everyone, hold hands and sing Kumbaya. It's going to be a great, beautiful, wonderful day. And teamwork is up is of the utmost importance, and we love each other, and we love your fellow man, and blah, blah, blah. He's going to blow so much smoke up your ass, likely, and your bullshit meter is going to go off. And keep it to yourself, though, especially if you're the new guy. And all of you that have been in maintenance for a while, you, your bullshit meters are right on. And you know the leads, the supervisors, and the managers who just will blow smoke all day, They'll disappear, either be hanging out in the maintenance booth, flirting with the gals in there or whatnot, and they'll disappear. After that, you might not even see them clock out, or you might see them when someone's going to get terminated. They'll be the first one when, when, someone, when someone drops the leading edge or the flaps on a freaking ladder. They'll be the first ones there to find a scapegoat. As a new person... 
Just keep your mouth shut. Okay? Make friends, right? I'm not saying don't make friends and be social, but keep your wits about you. And don't question the lead, the supervisor, the managers. Now, I that will be another podcast where we talk about supervision, management, good and bad at another time. Uh, but just keep your wits about you. You know, um, you know, be, be just just don't do anything that draws attention to you. Uh, and I'm sure that there's there's more tips and there's more good advice. There is more tips and more great advice. And if any of you you know want to share uh, your opinions, your suggestions, your experiences, again, uh, please uh, reach out to me via the the messaging uh, link in the description or email me at apmechanicpodcast, one word, at aol.com. That's apmechanicpodcast at aol.com. I'll certainly love to hear from you, from your folks. Um, but let's, let's recap here, okay? If you're going to A&P, if you're, if you're going to A&P school, okay, you're going to become an aircraft mechanic, Ask yourself, am I the type of person, do I have the type of personality and character that if I'm asked to perform a, a, a job that I know is wrong, in a way that I know is wrong, am I going to say no, or am I going to say okay, just to appease? Ask yourself that question. I'm not, not kidding. If you're the type of person who is easily manipulated, who is easily strong-armed, you might not want to be an aircraft mechanic. Again, think about it. If you are and you do perform that illegal maintenance and something happens to that aircraft, the people on the aircraft, you know, can you live with that? You know? I guarantee you the NTSB will be up your butt. The feds will be up your butt. If you were wrong, if you were negligent, your company is not going to stick up for you. They will not. If you were blatantly negligent, just outright negligent, you're on your own. You'll likely go to jail. You'll likely lose everything that you worked hard for. So being a person of integrity is important. Being someone who can stand up for what's right, what's wrong, and yeah, make fun of it, call it being a Barney Fife or whatever. But it's serious business, and I take it seriously. I've met folks that should not be mechanics, and I have a, a podcast coming up in the future where I just talk about the fools that I've met in aviation, and I have another podcast that I'm putting together that I talk about the good folks that I've met and we'll have some guests on the show and then we'll talk to them. And, uh, you know, it's not all bad. It is trying. It can be very trying. So again, ask yourself that question. If you're going to be an A&P, are you up to saying no, Mr. Supervisor, Mr. Manager, what you're asking me to do is wrong. Don't be afraid to question it. Right. And research the A&P school you're going to. You know, if it has a history of hanky-panky, if, you know, one of the criterium, and you'll hear me say this a lot, 
of that A&P school is to buy yourself some thick knee pads, you know, maybe you want to go to a better quality school, you know. Uh, first day on the job, keep your wits about you. It's going to be intimidating at times. But, you know, you're going to learn. If you need help, ask for it. Don't perform a job which you don't know, but you don't want to ask questions because you're nervous about what people are going to think. Again, would you put your family on that plane? If the answer is no, or the answer is eh, maybe not, stop what you're doing. Ask questions. There are still very good mechanics out there. I've met a lot of really good people in the aviation maintenance industry. Ask questions. Do the job right the first time. Don't be the one thinking to yourself after the plane's taken off, oh crap, did I do that right? But I digress. Next episode, though, is going to be season three, and it's going to be a viewer segment. Some of the emails that I got in, I'm going to be answering those emails next. That's going to be next time on the podcast. So with that said, I hope you guys really enjoyed this and, you know, appreciate you guys listening. Again, feel free to reach out to me um, either at the message me link in the description or at AP Mechanic Podcast at AOL.com. Again, that's AP Mechanic Podcast at AOL.com. So we did it. Ep- uh, <laughs> episode two of season one is done and over. We got through it. I really appreciate you guys listening. I want to hear your guys' feedback. Thank you for listening to this episode of the good, the bad, and the ugly truth of aviation maintenance industry. It was a raw and unscripted look. I am your host, Brian Wheels. We'll see you later. Take care.